0: Well, welcome back, and uh, it's very moving to get to hear the reporting in and to uh, seek to apply that in our own hearts. What is God uh, saying about our involvement as a body with the work on the other side of the world? I'd like for us to take a, a moment just to be still before God and to allow Him to speak into our hearts all that's already happened in worship today. There's a lot swirling around us that's unresolved and uh, obviously of deep and important, uh, great significance, uh, with many questions. So let's just pause. Let's listen to God. And I'm going to lead us in a prayer. We hear in the Psalms, be still and know that I'm God. And being still and listening is not an easy life skill for most of us, Father. So help us to do that. To reflect, to be quiet, to have our hearts in a listening posture and our wills ready to follow your prompting. We thank you for a safe return for these we love who have been giving so um, heavily of themselves pray for you to revitalize and rejuvenate them, and Lord for you to speak into all our lives about how you want us to follow you on mission. Now Father, in our time uh, further in the word today, speak to us that we may obey what we hear from your word in Jesus name. Amen. Well, I want us to uh, focus this morning on first Thessalonians chapter 1. So if you'll take your Bibles and turn with me to 1 Thessalonians, if you need help in finding that, it's right before 2 Thessalonians. So that should help everybody to find it immediately. It's also after what's that old thing? General Electric Power Company, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. Then you're in the Thessalonians. But I want us to look together at 1 uh, Thessalonians today and uh, Scott and Sherry are not here. They're in Oregon on a wedding, uh, at a wedding, and, and hopefully getting some R and R also with uh, Sherry's family. And uh, we miss them. But while they're not here, I want to do a little sanity test. <laughs> and it really has to do with the wild man, wild woman factor at Meadowbrook Church, and how that may or may not have been impacted by Scott and Sherry's Brewer's long tenure of leadership here. So I'm going to ask you some questions. I want you to be honest and tell me whether you've actually done these things. And they relate to activities that are common to to Scott and Sherry. For example, we know Scott is that jeep-driving, bungee-jumping pastor. And I want to ask how many of you have been bungee-jumping like Scott Brewer. Well, we have one confession. Now, bungee jumping occurred, you know, back, what, in the 70s or 80s, I mean. It was popular in the early 90s, so you have to be old, wild men and women to, uh, to enjoy bungee jumping, but uh, you're fairly sane at this point. I'm proud of you. Now, let's consider Ms. Pastor Sherry Brewer and former First Lady Laura Bush, and I want to know how many of you have been whitewater rafting. Well, we know who has influence in this church. <laughs> And so the wild man, wild woman factor evidently is fairly high here. And I want you to know that I have taken the uh, ferry to Bainbridge Island a couple of times. And (laughs) once the wind even sprang up a little bit, it got a little bit dicey. But but actually, Marilyn and I parented four teenagers. And I figured that was all the white-knuckle activity that we could really take. Some of you know that Amy Hegel, what an incorrigible teenager she probably was. You know, and... uh, We survived it. But but actually, what I'm really talking about is riding the rapids of change in the chaotic kind of culture in which we live. And and we do know, most of us, I think, by now, that that life can be a white-knuckle activity. Uh, Change Change is is the one constant, it seems, in our world. And and life has been always about change, but now it is more often and it comes at us faster and faster. More noise, more hurry, more crowds, more uh, information coming at us faster and demanding more choices and more actions on our part external stimuli bombarding us from, from everywhere. We even have so many choices to make. My wife is a, is a chip-a-holic, not the gambling chips, but the you know potato chips you buy in the grocery store. She used to say to me, James, I want a bag of chips. Would you give me a bag of chips? Well, I knew she either wanted Cheetos, Fritos, or potato chips. And, and you know that created something of a crisis for me just to figure out which one. But now when I go to the store to buy Marilyn a bag of chips, There are more than 20 different flavor combinations of chips. And all of this supposed freedom with the choices we have just creates greater and greater stress in our lives and requires us again to manage change at at, at a scale that is almost off the charts. And so really change has become for all of us. Even if we're not jeep-driving, bungee-jumping pastors like Scott Brewer or or whitewater-rafting demons like, like Sherry Brewer, change is an essential life skill. And I want to be a person who not only, as a disciple of Jesus, learns to manage change, but to master change as I seek to follow Him in His activity in my world. And when we talk about learning life skills, that's when we really need to go to the Scriptures. That's one of the times. And I've chosen First Thessalonians chapter 1 this morning for, for a very, very real reason. And that is because, not only was this the second church in the Western world to ever be birthed. So you and I owe a debt to this body of believers who came together through a commitment to Christ in the first century world. But it was a church that was birthed in the midst of chaos. And they not only survived, but they actually thrived on chaos. And we can learn something as we look at the the Testament to, to the development and growth of these Christ followers in the midst of chaos and change in their first century world. So follow with me as we read the first chapter. You follow along silently as I read out loud. Paul, Silas, and Timothy... To the church of the Thessalonians, in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, grace and peace to you. We always thank God for all of you, mentioning you in our prayers. And we continually remember for our God and Father, your work produced by faith, your labor prompted by love, and your endurance inspired by hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. By the way, that's an interesting verse. Where have you seen those character qualities, uh, in, in the New Testament? Faith, hope, love. Paul puts that uh, triad together about nine times in the New Testament and says you have really reached the apex of the, of the Christ following life characterized when you begin to display faith, hope, and love. But notice that it is your work produced by faith, your labor prompted by love, and your endurance inspired by hope. And, and there we have uh, the reality of life as we are to live it, that it is a journey. And it is a journey, it advances on two fronts. The journey inward into a deepening relationship with Christ that begins to change our character. That it become more like the character of Christ. Displaying faith, hope, and love. But the journey inward always fuels the journey outward into a lifestyle in which we join Jesus it is redemptive activity in our world, and so we have work that is produced by faith, labor prompted by love, and endurance inspired by hope going forward now. For we know, brothers, loved by God, that He has chosen you, because our gospel came to you not simply with words, but also with power, with the Holy Spirit, and with deep conviction. You know how we lived among you for your sake. You became imitators of us and of the Lord. In spite of severe suffering, you welcomed the message with the love given by the Holy Spirit. And so you became a model to all the believers in Macedonia and Achaia. The Lord's message rang out from you, not only in those places. Your faith in God has become known everywhere. Therefore, we do not need to say anything about it. For they themselves report what kind of reception you gave us. They tell us how you turn to God from idols to serve the living and the true God and to wait for His Son from heaven, whom He raised from the dead, Jesus who rescues us from the coming wrath." Now the scene here is a team of missionaries who have felt a definite call of God to cross the Dardanelles into the Western world and for the first time introduce the message of Jesus into the world which eventually resulted in our being here today. Thankfully, they were obedient to that, that calling. And these missionaries start in a city called Philippi, then they move down the Greek coast to a city called Thessalonica. They are marketplace missionaries. They have vocational skills. They move into town. It, their normal practice was to go to the first century equivalent of an industrial park. Set up business there by the riverside, ply their trade, do their work as unto God, and build relationships that are redemptive in character. So you know the fact that we now meet in, you know, an office park is is pretty New Testament if you ask me. We're getting right back to the first century world. And may we do the same in the way we conduct ourselves. These marketplace missionaries were led by a guy named Paul. Now, Paul was in the transitional housing business. He was a tent maker. And uh, he and his buddies build relationships. And then on the Sabbath, they go into the synagogue, if there is one. And there they study the Bible with those people who have an Old Testament background to understand a New Testament faith. They share the good news. And in chaotic times, there are always people who have been prepared by God and life to hear the message. And in the city of Thessalonica, hearts who had never heard the good news turned to Christ. Now, with a positive action, there's always negative reaction. And that shouldn't be surprising to us in our culture. And when worldviews are challenged, and when lifestyles and, and, and questionable values come in, are, are brought into conflict with the truth of God's character and message, Then there are going to be some sparks that fly and there's going to be resistance. And in this case, in this city, an uproar occurs. And it gets so bad that those marketplace missionaries decide that it would just be best if they fold up their businesses and they move on down south down the Greek coast just to take the pressure off these new, newly minted believers. And that they do, but... These guys, Paul included, although they were itinerant in nature, Paul never spent more than three years in one place. He was not someone who just blew in, blew off, and blew out. He really cared about the people he interacted with and introduced to faith. And he he deeply desired and prayed that they would have Christ formed in them. So Paul, at a very important time in his own life, chooses to send his most trusted associates back to the city of Thessalonica, Check out these believers and see how they have responded to chaos chaos and change and stress in their lives. The news comes back, they've responded quite well. They are not only surviving, they are thriving on chaos. They are not only managing, they are mastering change. And we have the external evidences of this thought of this as Glee and and the others were sharing about about the, the message in, in Russia. Do you see how that what has happened in their lives? They're not passive about their faith at all. They have embraced a a whole life discipleship of Jesus. And they are quite public about their faith. They have turned from the old God substitutes to follow the true God Himself. That's a message for us. You know in our culture we have our God's substitutes. And then we hear the message, and, and in some cases we want to add Christianity to our, to our portfolio, but we're not giving up anything. And we compartmentalize our faith. And we are marginal at best in our impact. They have turned from idols to serve the living and true God. The, the gospel message has sounded out for them. The word there in the Greek, and sometimes a word, can, you can understand it's English equivalent, the word is ekeo which in our, our language means echoed. The word literally echoed, reverberated, resounded. In ever-widening circles throughout the ancient uh, Western world, people hear of the name Jesus through the public message and practices of the Thessalonican church. This is a church that has thrived on chaos. But I want us to dig a little bit deeper this morning. Some of you... You know, are in meetings with me and I'm always saying, let's not look just at the externals, let's get under them. Let's dig deeper and let's see the core issues that cause us to act this way. And we can learn some things this morning in our own lives about how to ride the rapids of change in the kind of chaotic culture in which we live. So I want you to look at the, the culture that underlies everything we read uh in the external practice of this like Thessalonica church. Quickly, first of all. Paul introduces himself to these people or greets them in his letter. He says to the Thessalonians, "...in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ." Now, this is almost kind of a by-the-way thing that, that you could miss, but it is so part of the language and culture of the New Testament that it is important. Paul doesn't say, "...you are a group of people who believe certain things about God." He doesn't say you're a group of people who do certain things for God. He says you are in God. And what he is referring to is, is the relational nature of the Christian message. You know, when you compare religion and Christianity today, religion is all about doing things for God to earn His favor, almost so we have paid our taxes and God has to give us a good life. And in case there's future implications to this life, God takes care of those. Our good karma outweighs our bad karma. Christianity alone says right up front that we can't have a good enough karma to to earn our right into the kingdom of God. So God does for us what we cannot do for ourselves. Jesus comes, dies for our sins, and the long arms of grace reach out and wrap God's love around us and draw us into the kingdom. And what Christianity is about is not keeping rules and observing regulations, but cultivating a relationship with God as He's revealed Himself in Jesus Christ. And the first core practice to thriving in the kind of culture in which we live is to let our roots go down deep in Christ as we cultivate the relationship we have with Him. That internal practice in our lives is the seedbed from which the kind of external practices occur that are enumerated in the, among the Thessalonian Christians. Are your roots going down deep in Christ? That's the first question I would ask you this morning. And I would read to you a very familiar psalm, and it provides a good picture here. Psalm 1. Some of you can probably quote this. I could when I had all my memory. It seems like it's slipping, you know, so. in, in the sense of true prosperity in living. Now, let's just stop there for time's sake and let's, let's draw a picture for you in your life right now. Imagine your life is a big, leafy tree. Can you do that? You know, like the tree planted by the streams of water. And the fruit on your tree... You know, that's your gifts, that's your talents, that's your skills, that's your relationships, that's your time. That, that's all the resources that, that, that God brings into your life. And, and what happens in the living of life? People are always coming by and they are plucking the fruit from your tree. They're pulling at the branches. And for most of us in our life in which there is, is the absence of margins and, and the presence of stress and pressure... We're constantly in danger of all the fruit being pulled off our branches. Now, how do you renew the fruit? How do you keep from going dry and stale and your leaves withering and your branches all being broken? Well, imagine that your relationship with Christ is like an underground stream mentioned in Psalm 1. The stream is flowing. It has life-giving water. How? Do re, you renew and revitalize when you're in danger of going dry. You let your roots go down deep in Christ. You know, Marilyn and I lived for a while in, a, in, in the city of, in, of Topeka, Kansas. It was the state's capital. And we love old neighborhoods. And so we bought a home in an old neighborhood about a mile and a half uh, west of the state capital. And it just had such charm and character and the most beautiful, beautiful hardwood trees, lovely in the spring, and brilliant colors in the fall, and we found out something about those trees. The roots of those trees have an insatiable thirst for water, and when it's dry, like it gets in Kansas sometimes in the summer, hot and dry, those roots will go down and out looking anywhere for for water. They'll even get into water lines and sewer lines. And so the first summer we were in that lovely little charming neighborhood, we had the whole backyard dug up as they were, you know, installing a new sewer system for us because of those thirsty roots. And for most of us, when we find ourselves going dry and we feel barren in life and we don't have the resources to, to counter the challenges and the opportunities that are coming out of us, if we really did a, a fearless and searching intour of our lives, we would have to say way down deep, we are shallow. Our roots are not going down into God's love, into the life-giving streams of the presence of Christ in our life. Now, how do we do that? How do we do that? And for time's sake, I'm not going further this morning, but I do want us to get this. How do we let our roots go down deep in Christ? Well, Psalms has the answer, doesn't it? It says that, that the person who is like a tree planted by streams of water is in God's Word, and he is meditating on it day and night. He is doing as Mary did in that story that we find in the New Testament. She was sitting at the feet of Jesus, soaking up His words. And how do we sit at the feet of Jesus? You know, it's great to meet on Sunday and worship and and, uh, check in with God and, and with fellow believers. But life change occurs not with a weekly greeting to God but when we sit at his feet daily as we open up the scriptures and we get into his word now it's possible to read the bible and become a thoroughgoing moralist and legalist and still be mean-spirited and your scripture and your uh, you know all the scripture and your character not be changed but we have this promise if we approach the word of god with a humble heart and a willing spirit and we surrender to his spirit who inspired the word then the promise is the spirit of god who inspired it will illuminate our hearts and our minds as to its meaning and application in our lives and as we sit in the feet at the the feet of jesus regularly in his word our roots go down deep in christ and slowly and surely we are replenished we are revitalized And we are restored. You know, in our apartment, we have a piano. People who helped us move know about that piano. It was big and bulky and heavy. And uh, I'm sure if we ever move again, to get any help, we'll have to get rid of the piano. I wish I could play that piano. I see it every morning. I even sit at it sometimes, but I can't play it. But those who play it really, really well... If you ask them about their practices, they would tell you that they never get so good or seasoned as pianists that they don't regularly go back to the piano and sit down and do their scales. That's the ABCs or pianists. who was a at I think, who said, If I don't do my scales one day, when I'm in concert, I know it. If I don't do my scales two days, my teacher knows it. And if I don't do scales three days, my audience knows it. And you see, sitting at the feet of Jesus in His Word is the scales for the Christian. That is the ABC. That's the fundamental. We never get beyond it. Being sure that we have that practiced experience in our lives, that discipline, if you will, and discipline and discipleship go together, where we have time in our busy schedules to sit down, To open up God's Word. To surrender our hearts to the Spirit of God. And to ask Him to reveal to us what He would say to us in the Scriptures. So this morning, I ask you, are your roots going down deep in Christ? Do you have that regular practice of opening up your Word? I would suggest that you connect that with something you really love to do. I like to do it with coffee. So I'll go somewhere where there's coffee... And I'll take my Bible and I'll open it up. And uh, that helps me with my discipline. I also try to take a little journal with me. In my case, I have some fancy ones. But I, right now I'm using a $3 journal for, that I just got a little notebook from Bartels. And, and sit down and, and read a passage of Scripture. Ask the Spirit to tap you on the shoulder. And speak to you about a particular verse. Write that verse down. And then observe what is being said in the verse. And then reflect and apply. How will my life be different today? Because I have read this scripture and I would surrender myself to God's will in my life. Never stop doing your scales. And if you have, go back to them. Go back to them right now. And reestablish that daily practice of letting your roots go down deep in Christ by sitting at His feet. with a surrendered heart and reflecting on his word. That is how we ride the rapids of change in a chaotic kind of world. There is so much more here, but this is where we're going to pause this morning. So I want us to reflect now. I've got some questions for you here, and, and the basic one is, are your roots going down deep in Christ? Are you regularly sitting at the feet of Jesus? And letting Him speak to you through the gift of His Word. In a moment, we're going to, uh, we're going to worship through giving. Uh, that is also a time when you can take that little tear off that you already tore off this morning. you filled out, or I encourage you to fill out the front side. Now, the reverse side is a response tool. This is a place you can ask for prayer. This is a place you can register a next step commitment. And what is it that the Spirit of God is prompting you to say this morning in response to Him? Have you begun the journey with Jesus? This is a great time. Maybe that's why you're here. This is your divine appointment. To open up your life like a flower opens up to receive sunshine and rain and to invite Christ into your life. To forgive your sins and become the leader of your life. It may be a time to say, you know, Lord, I I check in with everybody else. I I seek my own counsel and the counsel of others, but I've forgotten to seek your counsel. I need to be sitting at your feet. And I want right now to renew my vows with you to begin to sit at your feet in reflective reading of your word. Whatever it is God's speaking to you, I want you to use this time wisely and well. So I'm going to ask now that we prepare our hearts to worship through giving, and to uh, register our commitments on those cards. There will be ushers who will be coming. Let's pray together. Let's use this time well. Father, I, I just thank you for reporting in, and we got a global view of what this endeavor is all about, of just how big you are in this world. But Lord, we want to be so personal that we look inward, and we want to start with the fundamentals. Lord, help us to evaluate and to respond accordingly our own relationship with You. I just pray You'd help us to see how to renew the discipline of sitting at Your feet in Your Word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.